Hi, I'm Laura Flanders, and this is The Laura Flanders Show, the TV and radio program that seeks to raise radical spirits by interviewing forward-thinking people with real models of shifting power from the worlds of art, entrepreneurship, and activism. This week on The Laura Flanders Show, a rebroadcast of my interview from November last year with immigrant and human rights leader Ravi Ragbir. Ragbir, who's executive director of the New Sanctuary Coalition in New York City, was detained January 11th at a routine check-in with ICE. He was then taken out of state to the Chrome Detention Facility in Florida and only brought back to New York City after demonstrations and a lawsuit. He's now in custody awaiting a hearing on his status. But if the intent or at least the effect of attempted deportations like this one is to silence voices like Ragbeer's, our response is to lift them back up. This week on the show, we'll start with a message from Ragbeer recorded prior to his detention and then go to our interview along with Sara Gonzalo of this new Sanctuary Coalition, which was recorded this November in New York City. First, Ragbeer, then us. This is the Laura Flanders Show, the place where the people who say it can't be done take a back seat to the people who are doing it. Well. This is Ravi Ragbear from the New Sanctuary Coalition. I do expect that they will try to get me out of this country very quickly because there were so many of you who have stood up for me. There are so many of you who, will, who have come out around me. I hope that you will be now motivated to, to stop this. We are not documented or undocumented. We are human beings. I choose to walk into this, to this agency. I choose to do that because of you. You were there for me. You are, I need you to be there for others. I need you to understand that this, this is a moment to mobilize. This is a moment to stop this. I have the privilege of knowing you. I have the privilege of speaking to you. I have the privilege of being in a community with you. You need to now extend that welcoming hand to others. Not just welcoming hand, but also protective hands. So stop this agency. Reach out to the New Sanctuary Coalition. Get involved. Learn who your neighbors are. They welcome your neighbors and treat your neighbors with respect and link arms with your neighbors because this is what a neighborhood is. Everyone there for each other. Sanctuary. What is it exactly? We've talked about it on the show in episodes past and different people have different answers. Some city mayors, including progressive ones like New York City's Bill de Blasio, believe there is no contradiction between so-called broken windows policing and an anti-deportation stance. But our guests today say that anti-crime rhetoric and so-called zero-tolerance policing inevitably criminalize entire communities and does nothing to prevent crimes of poverty and exclusion or help people like immigrants who are living on the edge. With us today in the, pro, in the studio are Ravi Ragbir and Sarah Gonzalo, two activists with the New York City New Sanctuary Coalition. It's an interfaith network of people and groups in solidarity with families and communities resisting detention and deportation. Thank you both for joining us. Glad to have you. Let's start with the electoral news of the fall of 2017. I have seen many, many sort of reactions to the off-season elections, but few that really put the issues of immigrants and immigrant justice 
at the center. Um, it was a mixed bag. But, but how would you assess what happened at the polls? Correct. It is a mixed bag. We saw the shift in Virginia with Northrop winning the election, even though he said he supported Sanctuary City. Uh, everyone thought that the other candidate would have won because he took the same position as the administration. I refuse to say his name, by the way. I <laughs> hope I, I hope you know that. But because people are starting to understand that the direction of the country is not the direction that we need to take to continue to protect the citizens. But in itself, this when you talk about sanctuary cities, that's very limited. And you you said in your intro that it is not enough to call yourself sanctuary. It is not enough to say that you are going to not cooperate with the Immigration and Customs Enforcement because they don't need permission to come into a location. They don't need um, permission to come into the studio and arrest me and take me away. So we need to do more than that. Like coming back to the election, which yeah. is not only in Virginia, but you have the, the transgender person uh, winning, you have the Sikh in Hoboken, you have the Liberian who actually won against the guy who said he didn't want any refugees in his area. No, he's uh, a refugee. I know he's a refugee. <laughs> he needs to uh, migrate out of there. Um, it, it's a good start um, because hopefully they will bring the voice of the immigrant to that space. Unfortunately, because of the, this, there's still not enough representation, of people who understand the immigrant perspective, not just understand it, but have shifted away from their, their history, their own background and their own ancestors, and the, that they were from immigrants, and they, they celebrate that when they want to celebrate who they are, but they want to take it away from yeah. anyone else. Were you celebrating when Bill de Blasio was re-elected, though? There was no real alternative, so mm-hmm. I was celebrating because others didn't win, but... It's one of those celebrations more than a yes celebration for me. In New York City. I mean, New York City is a good case in point, not just because we're based here and we're having this conversation here, but because it does reflect exactly that contradiction of a, a mayoral candidate and a man who presents himself very much as a progressive and yet has this very troubled, confused relationship to deportation. Is New York City a sanctuary city or not? And as you said, is that even the right question? The question you just asked is the right question. (laughs) Is it really a sanctuary city? The mayor at the beginning uh, was very gung-ho and very um, supportive, except in the last few months, in the last year of um, of the first term, he flipped and he started to switch so that there was a time when he would have given um, representation for everyone who is in detention. But now he, he's changed it so that they, if you fall within a, 170 levels of, in this category of crime, the city will not provide free legal services for them, which is a contradiction to what he said in the beginning, and it's a contradiction to where we need to be as a sanctuary city. So your right to a representative, to a lawyer, to a defense depends on what kind, what kind of crime you're accused of? Uh, it, it was uh, in the last year when there was the, the knife up, New York families immigrant unity program where they would provide free legal services for people in detention. It covered everyone, no matter what background or what crime you had. The city passed it. The city passed the money to fund this, but the mayor pushed back and said, no, if they fall within this category, they will not be um, represented. Mm. So there were many, many officials, there were many of our allies who was like very surprised. But the question is, when people want to go for, for high election, for higher office, sorry, um, does that mean they have to shift to, to what position? To not true to the value of New York City, untrue to the value, which is how they came into the 
um, position. Right, in so the let's just dig down into this a little bit. I mean, really what I'm hearing is that this classic approach to getting tough on crime, which is to say we might ease up on the sort of not so serious crime, but we're going to be really strong on the tough crime, really reveals its kind of bankruptness, um, if that's a word, as it comes to immigrants. C can you just talk about that one or others that you have this kind of immigrants that are worth defending and then others that maybe aren't, ones that commit terrible crimes and are members of death squads and others who are just here by happenstance? There is a rhetoric, which is the part I love the most about New Sanctuary Coalition, that we don't adhere to of the good immigrant and the bad immigrant. The immigrant that's worth fighting for and the immigrant that is not. All of a sudden, we're making distinctions between human beings and elected officials are the best at it because <laughs> they want to keep everyone happy, right? So you're pro-immigrant, except for these really bad immigrants. But what are we really talking about? They never go into the details. What are the crimes we're talking about? And I see it, too, in our immigrant communities. We fall into that trap. How that so? We say things like, well, I may be undocumented, but I'm not a criminal. Mm -hmm. Or I may be a criminal, but at least I have papers. I came here legally. And so we start feeding on this rhetoric, which is really what they want, so that our communities themselves are also divided into this good immigrant, bad immigrant, and who is a good immigrant, who passes mm. the test. And it's sort of how we talk about the dreamers, too. Well, they were just brought here as innocent right. children. Right. Innocent. Right. So it's not their fault. It's their parents' fault. Right. right. No, you're, you're talking to parents who who felt, um, who wanted to protect their, their children and wanted a better life for the children, you're attacking them for seeking a better, op seeking a better option. So coming back to the criminal, the, you know, the good and bad, and the, the seriousness of the crime, we, we understand, everyone understands that there are other reasons why someone may have committed a crime. Um, resources may have been taken away from them. They may have mental issues. They may have been pushed into violence, like there are many cases in New York where the wife had to literally defend herself against her partner mm -hmm. and therefore end up serving time. So we don't know what, what the reason is. And even if we do know the, these factors that are important that could change if we had better resources mm -hmm. for them. We have a story of in Long Island when the wife was feeling threatened by her husband. She called the police just to de-escalate de the situation and the husband has disappeared. Because they took him away, he's in ICE custody, he's deported. She is hysterical now because she didn't want him to, to leave. She just wanted to, to calm the situation down. What happens when our community hears this now, and, and they know that if we call, even if we need the help, that the person who, the, not only the person who may be threatening me, but I myself might be in danger in my, my being because I call the local police department. So it, it causes us as victims to not be additional victims and to be victimized by the system that, um, are, that are there to protect us. And we don't see it as immigrants, we don't see the system as there to protect us. Politicians tend to adopt a tough-on-crime stance when it comes to immigration, dividing up good and worthy immigrants from all the others. Those good-bad lines can tend to break up communities, but Executive Director Ravi Ragbir and Supervising Coordinator Sarah Gozalo of the New Sanctuary Coalition in New York take a sanctuary-for-all approach that's based on a no-judgments definition of the word. More to come.
That was We Can Heal Part 2 by House for the Homeless from the compilation Glenn Sweetie G. Toby Presents Shelter from the Streets on Baseline Records. All sales have gone to support the Book Bank Foundation, promoting wellness in our communities for disenfranchised families. Will you support wellness in our media community? We want to give back, but we need you to give. Please take a moment to support this show by going to lauraflanders.com and making that year-end donation. Thank you. You can also help by telling your friends about the Laura Flanders Show podcast, our TV show, and posting in social media, or giving us a quick review on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference, so thank you in advance. Later in the show, some exasperated thoughts from me on the fast and furious onslaught of Donald Trump's first year in office. Is it recklessness or what? But first, back to my guests, Ravi Ragbir and Sarah Gozalo of the New Sanctuary Coalition in New York. New York City claims to be a sanctuary city. But many New Yorkers still live in fear. Ravi, for example, knows just what it's like to fear detention and deportation every day. He lives with that. Where would you fall on this good-bad immigrant divide as it's currently set up? Depends on who you ask. If you ask my ex-wife, you will say I'm, I'm really bad. <laughs> but, um, if you ask my wife or my, or my friends, I would fall with, on, the, on the bad bad side because I have a criminal conviction. I have a wire fraud conviction. And I don't want to get into the specifics mm-hmm. because I don't want to call myself innocent. I don't want to call myself as nonviolent. It doesn't matter to me whether the crime was violent or not. What that matters to me is that no one should be punished and continue to be punished for something that has happened in their past. They have resolved it. They have rehabilitated for him. They have learned and they are moving forward. Um, I don't know if I ever told you the story, but when I was in detention, I met a grandfather was being deported in 2007 for a crime he committed in 1964. Mm-hmm. He did not remember anything about it. We assume it's a simple drug possession that he, you know, the, the, the NYPD just picked him up on and let him, let him go. I mean, to me, it's less about how long ago the crime happened and more like, is this person actually a threat to the state or the society right. or the public interest? And we could name a lot of people who are threats to the public interest who would not fall on the, on the bad side of that, of that divide. But to talk about how we could do this differently, I mean, clearly this is an important thing to discuss because especially the man that you won't mention is out there. He's going to be amping up the fear of immigrants and immigrant groups in the name of defending people from terrorists and death squads, you name it. How do progressives like yourself or people like yourself um, and myself do this differently, turn this around, this conversation, and how are you doing it at the New Sanctuary Coalition? So we are doing it by, by, by principles and values. We said we don't believe in, um, in deportation. We mean that. So whatever history that you have, whatever crimes you've committed, um, it doesn't matter. We, we all, uh, one of the rules that we have when, you wanna, when you're a member of New Sanctuary is we don't judge you. It right? doesn't matter what country, what history, what language, etc. Um, when, you, when you do that, it, it changes the dynamic now. It is not about what you did in the past. It's about what we need to do to help you to, to be here, with your, to stay with your family, to, to be here in the community. And that, started, that shifts the person from, um, from looking forward. Our volunteers also shifts them to, um, from now um, t- looking at the past but thinking about how what is happening now and how it is affecting more and more people. So I think that's the, that's, is key when we, when we, when we start um, holding strong to our values, not saying that 
Like, for instance, the, this Roy Moore issue, right? You have the evangelical Christians who are so, so righteous, and they want to attack everyone, immigrants included, and yet this guy, oh, no, no, we should forgive and forget, and this was 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So where, where, is, your value, where is your principles here? So how is this playing out in the activism that you're involved in, Sarah? I know that you've been involved in, among other things, the Sanctuary Hood campaigns. Yeah. Um, talk a bit about what you're seeing people actually doing. So I coordinate um, the accompaniment program, which pair up, pairs up um, U.S. citizens with immigrants who have to go to court or to ICE check-ins. A lot of the people that we accompany don't have attorneys, so they're facing deportation or a trial by themselves because the government does not provide for free attorneys to immigrants. And so we have U.S. citizens that go with them. And part of what Ravi was talking about, part of the training for our volunteers is to say you will not judge anyone. You will not ask why this person is checking in with ICE because it doesn't matter. And sometimes there's a little bit of resistance, but once you start talking about it, once the volunteers start meeting the people they're accompanying, all of a sudden they're like, yeah, this is just a father or a mother or a sister that's going through something terrible by themselves and I'm there to support them. And it just shifts. There's no longer this fear of the immigrant. It's just a human being who maybe committed a crime a long time ago or recently, but now is just trying to survive and live with their families. What else is working? I heard a story about restaurant goers and restaurant owners linking hands. What was that? Yeah, and not allowing ICE in, which they have every right to do. You can protect the people who work in your business or the people who are dining in your business. ICE needs a a warrant to go in, a specific warrant for someone signed by a judge. If you don't have that, you don't have the right to come in. And so that's part of Sanctuary Hood, which is to go to the different communities and um, we base everything out of a house of worship and then we walk the streets and we talk to business owners and we talk to the community and learn with each other and work with each other about what are our rights, how do we protect each other, how do we keep ice out of our communities. Because you were talking about New York being a sanctuary city, but when ICE can go anywhere they want, what kind of sanctuary city is New York really? And it's going to be up to the communities to really make New York into a sanctuary city. So let's talk about what that might be. That's Sara Gozalo of the New Sanctuary Coalition, a multi-denomination and non-denominational organization in New York City that goes from solidarity to partnering with immigrants to resist criminalization. You're listening to an interview that took place in November of 2017. After a routine check-in in in January, Ravi Ragbir was taken into custody by ICE, sparking a peaceful protest that included members of the New York City Council. You can find links to video of that protest at our website. Ragbir remains in detention at this recording. I'm Laura Flanders. You're listening to The Laura Flanders Show. From organizing neighborhoods into sanctuary hoods, my guests are on the front lines of defense and of building a new sort of New York.
That was If Everyone Were Blind by Sweetie G and Victor Simonelli from the album Glenn Sweetie G. Toby Presents Shelter from the Streets on Baseline Records. Before the end of today's show, you'll hear a few thoughts from me on the President's recent announcement regarding Jerusalem. But first, back to my guests Ravi Ragbir and Sara Gozalo of the New Sanctuary Coalition. Temporary Protected Status and Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, ending. They suggest that people in cities like New York can go beyond participatory budgeting, making budget decisions together, to participatory sanctuary, creating sanctuary together, and bringing city officials along with them. Take a listen. We love to talk about positive models on this program. What could city people in office, in governance, do with the infrastructure, with the services, with policy, practice, policing? What's your, what's your message? What's your platform if you were running, Ravi? So, <laughs> don't put ideas in my head. No, sorry. <laughs> You've got enough on your plate. To build infrastructure, it has to come from the grassroots. So, for example, the New York City Council is talking about participatory budgeting, budgeting, right? That is a step in the right direction where you involve the community on how to spend the money. Um, similarly, the community is coming together and saying, okay, we need to protect each other, which is part of the hood, basing it out of the, the house of worship but everyone needs to understand their role in this. Creating a body system so that if I am at risk, you are keeping in touch with me regularly so that if, you, if I disappear, you will know right away to mobilize the community to re- find out where I am in ICE. The other thing is, if I know my community and I hear that immigration is in the area, and you see the community come into your space, you know why, you know what to do, you know, lock the door and ask for a warrant if they come knocking on the door. Um, that's, that's the grassroots itself. NYPD also has to understand and respect this so that if people are in the house of worship, that they know that this community, whether it's an immigrant community or a citizen community, who is facing violence. Now, one of the things that was actually heard is we're talking about immigration violence, but easily if we are protecting someone, we're also protecting them from domestic violence. Mm-hmm. We're also protecting them from other types of violence, LGBT violence, etc. So it, it will start to create a safe space that is important. NYPD has to facilitate that space. And uh, we will also push back against that broken windows because the community now is saying if someone jumped the turnstile, a teenager, which they all do, don't arrest them, don't give them a ticket call the, the faith leader to say, okay, talk to this young man, make sure it doesn't happen again. The elected officials, on the other hand, how can they facilitate that? Well, um, you know TPS and DACA is going to end very mm-hmm. soon. Temporary protected status. Temporary protective status and deferred action for childhood arrivals. That's what, it's, what the term, the temporary protective status, it, there was never a pathway to citizenship. There was never a pathway for legalization. So the El Salvadorians, for instance, have been on this for 30 years. The Nicaraguans have been in it for over 20 years. And they have been living in this limbo for so many years. And right now, they uh, have been told to leave the country. Well, the elected officials, we are working with the elected officials where they will out- reach out to the, um, the immigration agency and ask these people for deferred action. What does that mean? Um, that's a lot more technical mm-hmm. than it says, but if the city itself is taking the proactive step of making the request for these individuals, it imposes a, an additional pressure on that agency to act on the benefit of the community. Mm. So I'm hearing graduate from participatory budgeting to participatory sanctuary, kind Correct. of. Correct. Mm-hmm. Are any cities doing this? Is this happening? 
normally in New York City right now, that the, the other cities, so California is a sanctuary state. They have broadened the, the scope of sanctuary to mean that it is it's not just by a county, and even if the sheriffs are not happy, I believe there are 50 sheriffs that want to fight this, well, good luck, right? But New York State, for instance, like Attorney General, sent out an, a letter to all the jails that they should not be cooperating with ICE because the state had refused to back the Secure Communities program. But that doesn't mean that the individual sheriffs cannot act um, and cooperate. What we need to do is to make it a statewide issue. So we, we, we're almost out of time, but the last point I would love you to share, Sarah, is a little bit about what you've seen in the volunteers. I mean, we've heard a lot about how this does or doesn't help immigrants mm -hmm. and their families and communities, but what about everyone else? Who, who are those volunteers and how are they affected by what they've witnessed? So, sorry to everyone else, but we have the best volunteers <laughs> in the whole Correct. city, possibly the country. And there are multi-generational, so we have very young people, we have older people, we have retired people. They're the ones who can do the accompaniments because they don't have daytime jobs. And there's a huge mix of people with different beliefs, different political spectrum, but they all come together because they recognize the humanity in the issue. And they recognize that what's happening to our immigrant community is just dehumanizing a whole people. And they won't stand for it, and they're going to do everything they can. And so we, I have women who are in their 80s who are going to court every day and sit there and witness a process they've never seen before and are learning or they're talking to their kids and their grandkids about it. And then we have 20-some-year-olds that are maybe a little more radical that come to our pro clinic on Tuesdays and fill out forms, and they come and say, couldn't we also do this? And they keep pushing, and it's incredibly inspiring. And can anybody come? Anybody can come. We don't turn anyone, anyone around and... Um, as long as you're willing to not judge anyone, you have a place in the new sanctuary coalition. And it's beautiful to watch a 70-year-old working with a 22-year-old with a computer, and then the other person is taking notes <laughs> with a pen, and there is the friend getting help, and it's, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. Yeah. Thank you both. It's great talking Thank to you. you. Keep Thank up you. the great work. Thank you. That was Executive Director Ravi Ragbir and Supervising Coordinator Sarah Gozalo of the New Sanctuary Coalition in New York City, an interfaith and no-faith network of congregations, organizations, and individuals standing publicly in partnership with families and communities resisting deportation. Since this interview, which was recorded in November 2017, Ragbir was detained at a check-in with ICE. He remains in detention awaiting a hearing on his status He's lived in the U.S. for 27 years with a fear that this could happen and a deeply held hope that it wouldn't. If the intent or at least the effect of deportations like this one is to silence activist voices like Ragbeer's, our response is to amplify them, give them more voice so that you can hear who is being kept out of our conversation and ask yourself why. You can find more information about this situation at our website. That's lauraflanders.com. Next, the F word. This week's commentary. Thanks.
The news out of Trump Town comes so fast and furious that it feels to many progressives as if they're being hit on all possible fronts simultaneously. Senate Republicans approve a steal from the poor tax scam one day. The president opens millions of acres of protected federal and indigenous land to drilling the next. The day after that, the White House is recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and declaring it's moving the U.S. embassy to that city, scuttling the Middle East peace process, we're told. It's recklessness, says the media. Doesn't look like that to me. The Trump GOP seems to be all about reckoning and paying back wealthy donors. Ideologically, it doesn't take much to see how the various moves connect, from taxes to indigenous lands to Israel-Palestine. In Israel, the White House is in bed with the most far-right racist government in that country's history. Same here. In the U.S., they have no respect for indigenous land and people, or in Palestine. Washington plans to spend $38 billion in military aid to Israel, just one country over the next 10 years, while simultaneously raiding public coffers in the name of balancing the budget over here. If there is any silver lining to the Trump apocalypse, surely it's that the veneer of a social contract between the governed and the governors has simply been blown off. The governors stand to gain, the rest of us not. The whole government by the people for the people idea is as dead as that Middle East peace process, which, by the way, Trump didn't destroy because it was already dead. The Palestinians have been very clear. There is no peace process and there will be no peace. Trade unions, political parties, NGOs and refugee groups, essentially all of Palestinian civil society took to the streets in the day after the Trump declaration. And they called for a general strike. That is to say, a strike. That is general, not issue-specific, not on lots of different fronts, just one, because they're all connected. In the U.S., the penny, it seems, has yet to drop. It's not recklessness that we're seeing. It's all one wreck. You can find out more at my website, that's lauraflanders.com, and find out how to watch this program, the TV version, on Free Speech TV, Link TV, or CUNY TV, or our very own YouTube channel at lauraflanders.com. Thanks for listening. This show is produced by yours truly with Monica Mohapatra, Natasha Elena Ullman, Jeannie Hopper, Danica D'Souza, Emily Allen, Charlotte Prega, and Diego Romero Montiel. I like to hear what you think, so write to me. That's Laura, L-A-U-R-A, at lauraflanders.com. I do my best to get back to you as soon as I can. The program's made possible by the Novo Foundation and listeners like you. Become a member today. Thanks for your ongoing support. We couldn't do it without you. Stay kind. Stay curious. Till the next time, I'm Laura Flanders.